Hi everyone, um, my name is Gideon Cohen and I work for Care International in Southern Africa, where I am the Evidence and Knowledge Management Specialist. And primarily I work on the Impact Growth Strategy, which is called Her Harvest Our Future. And my job is to stimulate conversations and get people learning across the region. Uh, when we started this process roughly two years ago in the IGS, we started talking from the beginning, the opportunity that the IGS gives us as a different kind of space to talk about what doesn't work. Without the um, pressure of donor reporting or the timeframes of projects, in the IGS we have some space to be very reflective about our work, to ask questions and listen to others and get everyone talking in a way that perhaps in the past we haven't done enough of. And today what I'd like to do is present two stories that are about failure, hopefully quite quick and um, amusing, I'm hoping as well. And then to talk about what, what those stories show us in terms of the big picture and in terms of what I believe to be a bigger institutional failure. And it's not just um, something that relates to care in Southern Africa or care as an organization. I've worked for other big development organizations as well. And the same kind of issues have affected um, the work wherever I've worked. Okay, so the, the two stories I like to, I'd like to tell today are called Fences and Cucumbers. And the first one is from a field visit that I made to one of our countries. I'm gonna keep everything um, very anonymous today. And where I was looking at climate resilient agriculture projects. And this visit was myself, project staff, but also importantly, a CMP representative who was looking at the kind of the results of the final evaluation and wanted to see um, something on the ground before the project closed. And we went to various sites and it was, as it often is, too um, rushed. And some aspects of the visit were very staged in a way that makes many of us uncomfortable. But when we went to look at the fields, one thing that struck us was that the, the field, that the farmer field and business schools demonstration plot was fenced by a fence that came to sort of just above my knee. And this fence consisted of uprights about a meter apart and then a piece of wood going across the top. And I looked at this fence and I thought, well, that's not really easy to understand. Why do we have this quite low fence, which is just, you know, it's not closed in, it's just open. So I asked the project staff and they said it was to keep animals out. And um, some of my team members who I work with all the time were there and also the representative of the CMP. And we looked at the fences and we asked each other, well, what kind of animal would this possibly keep out? And there was actually no kind of animal that couldn't either go under or over the fence. And I could have gone either under or over the fence myself. So it was, it, it was difficult because we, we then said to the project staff, well, 
actually, this doesn't keep any animals out and it's unnecessary. And they reacted quite strongly and said, no, 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 this is important. But then when we went and had discussions with the country office, the country director actually said, okay, just stop doing these fences. They don't mean anything. So that's the first story. Fences that are said to be keeping animals out, but actually really serving absolutely no no purpose on the project at all. The second story is about cucumbers. And here again, I was visiting a huge program in one and in another country in this region um, where they're again using a farmer field and business school to scale up agriculture and hopefully to introduce some crops that people can sell. And here there was a huge demonstration plot, this time fenced in, um, you know, with chicken wire, like a kind of baseball court or something, and very protected, very well set up, and, you know, with all diverse kinds of foods growing. But as we went through it, I noticed that quite a lot of the foods weren't really being utilized. And in particular, we got to one place where there was a pile of cucumbers that were all rotting. So I asked people, well, why are these cucumbers rotting? And they said, well, we don't know what to do with them. And I said, well, why did you grow them? They said, because the project said this is a high value crop. So we should be growing cucumbers for the market. But actually, there's no market for the cucumbers here in this part of the country and there's no reliable transport to get them to the capital where they might sell. So I said, well, why, in that case, why aren't you eating them? Why aren't you just using them up? And they said, well, we don't like them. They're not something we, we don't, um, you know, we just, we don't know how to cook them. We don't know what to do with them. And when we've tried to eat them raw, we don't like them. So we don't eat them. So that again made me feel like we need to question why we're doing things and give people a stronger voice. I felt that there was such a contradiction in there that other people must have seen that, but that they had just kind of gone ahead with it because that's what the project had planned to do. And that's what the, you know, the project had its budgets and everything. And no doubt there was a proposal that included, um, you know, high value, agricultural crops, maybe the project proposal even said cucumbers. But actually in this context, growing cucumbers was a waste of space, a waste of time. And um, again, as with the first example, I'd like to say that these, these sort of anomalies or things that don't make sense that we then live with kind of undermine our legitimacy, undermine the honesty of the work that we're doing. And I would like to leave it there, but we can explore what's behind that in the rest of the discussion. Over to you, Emily. What's the overarching failure you see here? What's the underlying thing that we need to be doing better? So I think if I, if I have to answer that question in one sentence, I'd say that we're not creating institutional culture in our organization where people can tell it like it is, see something that's not right and just call it out and take action about it. We're too protected about the way we're working and we're not open to seeing failure as an opportunity to change. 
the story you described is about somebody from the outside coming in and saying, hey, this isn't working and you have to change it. And there are some power dynamics there as those of us from other parts of the world go to visit projects in country offices. How can we create spaces so people inside the projects can see and say those things themselves? You, you mentioned power inequality and I'd really like to start there because for me, that goes between our management and staff, between our donors and ourselves as an NGO, um, between care and our partners, critically, which we often forget, and between both our staff and our partner's staff and the participants in our projects, which is perhaps the most critical interaction of all. So I think challenging hierarchies and allowing people to speak um, with equality would be the first step in actually um, allowing our staff to talk about what's wrong with their projects, allowing us when we go to the field from the regional team or from donors or whoever's visiting, that we could also be really honest about what we see. And I think very critically as well, that needs to include our ability to make sure that our participants don't just repeat things that we've told them about the project, but actually talk about their experiences of working with care, what has been really positive, but also what really doesn't work and what's irrelevant to them. And I think at the moment we've created a climate where all of us um, protect our work by not questioning it enough. So what are some action steps you'd recommend for others, either visitors to projects or people inside projects, to so, address these questions? So I think it's all about having this conversation about hierarchies, having this conversation about who talks and who doesn't talk, having the conversation about whose opinions control the way we work at various different levels. In um, Southern Africa, our kind of um, our engine for doing this is our gender equality and women's empowerment hub, where we've been getting people from inside and outside the region involved, discussing these issues of hierarchies and many other issues that lead to inequality. Through that hub, we actually decided, the steering committee for that hub decided that we would focus our efforts this for this um, FY this year on trying to make a change in the interaction between our staff and partners and the participants in our projects. So we're working on that. We're trying to make sure that everyone's including that in their conversations. We produced a poster which is intended to help people think about um, when they go to visit project sites, what attitude they need to take up to ask themselves some questions about their own approach. Um, but I think the main thing is that we have to find opportunities throughout all of our work to ask questions and to give people the space to respond. What does that look like for you? <laughs> what does that look like for me? Being involved in lots of conversations, um, within all of our regional meetings, within our calls, and also making sure that whenever we have a big meeting that I somehow find space to include this on the agenda to keep raising the issue, but also talking to people who are 
struggling with how to do that and helping them to figure out how they do it. I think one thing that's important about our approach, which we call failing with honesty, and which is also a G-way approach, is that people have to take individual ownership of that and define it in their own terms. Um, we're, we're not going to produce a guidance note or anything like that, because that would be another example of us sort of imposing one set of ideas on the situation, where actually what we want people to do is to start thinking for themselves, asking themselves questions, challenging and challenging others. So what does it look like for me? It looks like for me that I have to examine my own work, the way I work, the way I interact with other people, understand that I'm part of hierarchies and if I so choose, I can participate in hierarchical behavior or I can try and give those people that I supervise, perhaps project staff who are sort of seen as the sort of, you know, the, the bottom of the um, evolutionary tree in our world. They're often also much younger people, whereas I'm in my 50s. So I think one of the roles for myself is to bring forward the voices of younger people, particularly national staff, and to um, make sure that I'm championing issues that come from the interface between um, our staff partners and participants and understanding how to resolve those issues. That's really helpful. I think it's great for people to hear specific examples, personal stories of how we can take action to make it a lot more concrete. Is there anything else you would want to add? I just would encourage everyone to create spaces where people can talk, where people can be honest, not to record necessarily or have minutes, but even within project reviews, to specifically start asking people what went wrong, what didn't make sense, what made you unhappy, what was frustrating. So asking those questions that will lead people to recognize that there's a space to talk about them, that will actually, you know, in most cases, if you start opening up those discussions, people will actually be really happy to talk about it. And I believe that that will unlock our ability to produce long-term change, have more responsive projects. If you had to sum up the point of this podcast in one sentence, what would it be? Let's think about what we're doing and be honest about it. Things that are not going well, let's challenge them and find better ways of doing it.